Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Normally, I'm joined by both Wayne Paselli, who is the founder of Animal Wellness Action, and Marty Irby, uh, its executive director and our chief lobbyist in D.C. Wayne is taking the Sunday off, however, and in his place, we have another representative uh, from Animal Wellness Action, and that is Lane Kallstrom. She is the director of state affairs for Animal Wellness Action, and um, we're talking today about killing contests, and she was part of the team that worked on having such contests banned in Arizona back in 2019. So, Lane, super glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me on, Joseph. So, before we get into the topic today, which, as I mentioned, is killing contests, uh, I want to go to Marty just for a general update of what's happening on the Hill regarding animal welfare legislation. Marty, what's going on? Yeah, thank you, Joe, and thank you both, Lane and Camilla, for being on today. We're so grateful to have you both on board. So a couple of things that are really important this week that have occurred and are going to occur in the next week. Um, we had done an investigation that Wayne and several of our other folks at Animal Wellness Action and the Animal Wellness Foundation had worked on obtaining documents from the postmaster in Guam, and those documents revealed that there were hundreds and hundreds of birds that were being shipped from Oklahoma, I think it actually may have been uh, over a thousand, um, that uh, were roosters uh, to be utilized in cockfighting in that country. They were shipped in boxes alive with sometimes nothing at all in the box with them, sometimes maybe an orange, but treated very terribly. And so we brought that to light through an article in the Frontier this week, and I believe every major outlet in the state of Oklahoma covered that, that these birds were coming from Oklahoma, being raised there, being shipped there, even though cockfighting is illegal and illegal in all 50 states and the U.S. territories. So um, the Oklahoman, the Tulsa world, uh, many other outlets in the state covered that, and we're just glad that we were able to shine some light there. You're going to see some more coming from Animal Wellness Action on the other states, second, third, fourth, and fifth states in the U.S. where cockfighting birds are being raised. Um, secondly, uh, many of you know one of my personal passions is the issue of eradicating soaring in Tennessee walking horses and the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act, which we passed through the U.S. House in July of last year, has been over in the U.S. Senate with now 52 co-sponsors, more than half the chamber, but pretty much stalled and unable to come to a vote because of a few Republicans from Tennessee and Kentucky that have been blocking the measure. Uh, we aren't giving up yet. We still have some potential avenues to end soaring and bring that legislation to a vote. One of them is to contact the USDA and ask the USDA to send inspectors to the Big Lick events that be begin this weekend in Columbia, Tennessee, and uh, occur again in a few weeks in Shelbyville, Tennessee. So we've got an action alert out there that'll be on our website. Um, also had a um, recommitment from the horse whisperer, Monty Roberts, my good friend out in California, to help us get this bill over the goal line. And uh, we did a podcast um, that he runs on horsemanship radio 
um, back in January of last year that just last night won uh, first prize, the award uh, under the American Horse Publications um, organization, uh, basically for the best horse podcast of the year. And uh, so we're really thrilled about that, have a lot of momentum going, had another great article in Horse Nation this week and one in One Green Planet today. So thank you all for helping us push to end soaring. We're going to get there slowly but surely, and we do hope that Secretary Sonny Perdue and APHIS Administrator Kevin Shea send inspectors to Tennessee to crack down on soaring in the upcoming weeks. The episode we did on cockfighting uh, is episode number three, so if you have access to our archive through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all of our distribution channels, you can look for episode number three and hear all about uh, what's going on in the U.S. territories regarding cockfighting. Uh, On any given weekend, some of America's most iconic wild animals are massacred in wildlife-killing contests. Bloodied bodies are weighed and stacked like cords of wood, and prizes are awarded to the hunters who kill the largest or the most of a targeted species. Those species, coyotes, bobcats, wolves, and foxes are the common victims of these contests. Children as young as 10 are encouraged to participate, and fueled by an anti-predator bias, these legally sanctioned but relatively unknown contests are cruel and foster ignorance about the critical role apex predators play in maintaining healthy ecosystems. These contests occur on both public and private lands in almost every state except California. I saw a documentary recently called Killing Games, Wildlife in the Crosshairs, and we're really thrilled to have today uh, on our show Camilla Fox, who is one of the producers and directors of that documentary. She is the founder and executive director of Project Coyote, a national nonprofit organization based in Mill Valley, California, that promotes compassionate conservation and the coexistence of people and animals. She also produced and directed the documentary uh, Call of the Wild, The Truth Behind Trapping. She's authored more than 70 publications, co-authored two books, Coyotes in Our Midst and Call of the Wild. She also serves as, uh, or has served, as an appointed member of the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture's National Wildlife Services Advisory Committee. Camilla, thanks for joining us today on the show. Great to be with you all. It was a hard documentary uh, to watch. Tell us about the film. When is it available for the public to see? Uh, Where can people find the content? Yeah, well, let me just give a little history about uh, the film and why we made it. Um, So back in uh, 2012 and 2013, we learned about a large killing contest in Northern California. This was in Modoc County. And at the time, uh, there was a a fairly famous wolf known as Journey or OR7 who was traversing up in that landscape. Um, And we appealed to our California Fish and Game Commission to uh, ban the practice of killing contests and also raise the issue that OR7 was um, potentially imperiled by these coyote hunters who were traversing in four Northern California counties. Um, And we know from from data that wolves, dispersing wolves have been killed by coyote hunters. So essentially that started a campaign and uh, that lasted about 18 months. Um, And then finally in 2014, our California Fish and Game Commission banned the practice, um, the awarding of of prizes and inducements for killing uh, fur-bearing and non-game animals. 
And um, that's a long story to lead to our decision to produce this film, Killing Games. Um, essentially, other organizations and agencies um, contacted us about this issue, um, asked us, you know, is this happening in my state? Um, which led to a lot of research um, about the prevalence of this practice in the U.S. and ultimately the, the decision to produce a film so that we could uh, raise public awareness about this because I think one of the biggest things that we um, contend with is the fact that most people have never heard of wildlife killing contests, including legislators. And um, I'm a huge believer in the power of film, documentary film, for raising um, public awareness about the issues that we're trying to uh, highlight. So um, we ended up producing Killing Games, Wildlife in the Crosshairs. And we have two versions. We have a 30-minute version and a 10-minute version. And in answer to your question about um, where it's being shown, um, we have historically, uh, for the last year and a half, been showing it um, through the film festival circuit. We've also been showing it in states with partnering organizations where we've been targeting the practice um, for the very purpose of raising public awareness and inspiring uh, grassroots action and mobilization. So it's still making its um, circuit around the country. Um, we actually recently partnered with you all with Animal Wellness. Um, and Humane Pittsburgh uh, organization to show it um, virtually actually during this whole COVID um, uh, pandemic. We've now shifted to the online um, uh, platform. And so we partnered to share that and um, you know bring it to the attention of Pennsylvania advocates and legislators. And hopefully we'll all be working together to ban the practice there. All right. So listeners can go to projectcoyote.org, look for information about the film, and stay up to date there uh, with where they may have the opportunity to see the film. Uh, thank you, Camilla. Lane, uh, you fought against these killing contests in Arizona. Walk us through one of these contests. How do people learn about them, the prizes, uh, the activities? Give us a sense of what one of these looks like in real life yeah these contests are have traditionally been very prevalent in arizona um, as as outlined in the killing games documentary you know the first known wildlife killing contests that were recorded happened here in arizona so we've got a a long history and tradition of abusing our wildlife with wildlife killing contests they they typically start with uh some people that want to get together on a weekend and wager and bet with each other about how many animals they can kill. So they will, in the past, you know, they organized somehow offline, but in, in these days, they traditionally uh, will be organizing online and alerting all their friends that a number of people are going to be getting, getting together on a given weekend and in a, in a given area, and they will list which animals are the targeted species. Coyotes are a, a very popular target. But here in Arizona, we also have a number of kill contests that were focused on bobcats and foxes and, you know, all kinds of other animals. So here, what we noticed was that there was a pretty high number of these contests going on, particularly, you know, throughout from around October through about April. And on most of those weekends, you would find groups of these guys out killing as many animals as they could. And the goal of these contests is to rack up the highest body count. 
So whoever kills the most is definitely recognized and wins some kind of prize. But part of that frame up means that people are not necessarily employing good um, tactics in targeting the animals that they're choosing to kill. So they may just be injuring them and not necessarily following through with ending their suffering in a timely way, but injuring the animals and moving on to the next one. So in other words, Lane, for example, if, if someone shoots a coyote and it appears to be wounded only, they may not take the time to finish the job because to do so would distract them from killing others. Yes. And since it's a compressed time frame, they really need to kill as many animals as possible. They really can't afford the time to go chasing wounded animals down. So these in Arizona, these hunts were happening on public lands, lands that were owned and managed by the Bureau of Land Management, BLM, and the U.S. Forest Service. And both of these agencies require special permitting for these types of activities. But what we found in our research was that these permits had not been applied for nor issued in Arizona. Typically, these guys are on these public lands out on any given weekend, and the public does not know that these are happening because this is not something that's announced. Generally, this is something that when the public finds out about it, they're opposed. And so they tend to operate a little bit under the radar, as in secret as as they can be, and they will be out killing as many animals as they can. And then over the course of a weekend, they'll count them all up and get together for a check-in party. And they will all be together someplace doing their counts and taking whatever trophies they're going to take and they weigh them all. And they may give some bits or pieces of the animals to somebody who's doing research, for instance. But then at the end of that weekend, and there's a, a big party, they will hand out the prizes. And those prizes can be quite lucrative. You know, it may be thousands of dollars or it may be on the smaller side, maybe a couple hundred bucks. There's also usually some kind of plaque or trophy. Uh, people in Arizona tend to be very fond of belt buckles. So there'll be special commemorative belt buckles made for the event. Um, and then the other thing that is really of high value is that these guys get bragging rights. So there's a lot of pictures of them posted of themselves, big selfies in front of piles and piles of bodies. And, you know, it's an honor to them to have killed the most. And, and then afterwards, uh, I, my understanding is the, the bodies are not used for food, for pelts. Uh, what happens to the cadavers of these animals? Generally, they are left to waste, left to rot where they are. Sometimes they manage to bury them altogether someplace, but they are not typically used. Yeah. Camilla, one of the most disturbing things that I saw in addition to the animal carnage was, I believe, some footage of such a party, such a gathering at the end. And watching these men, these children, talk about their killing shivered me. It was so bloodthirsty, so wanton. I can't describe it. Um, tell us what you show in your film regarding some of these celebrations. Yeah, well, I will share. Um, it was difficult uh, deciding what to include and not to include because this film is, um, or any film, you have to sort of balance the graphic nature and, of course, killing contests by their very nature um, are very intensely graphic. And so we have just one scene of um, a coyote actually being killed, um, but we do show 
the carcasses and Lane had mentioned um, sometimes these carcass dumps. So we do have images of the post realities of these uh, kill fests. One image of um, uh, my colleague Kevin Bixby with the Southwest Environmental Center who worked with us in New Mexico to ban the practice. And this picture depicts him um, in a field with the coyotes with their snouts uh, duct taped. And that's not an uncommon practice at all. We have other images with children next to the carcass dumps. Um, and as Lane mentioned, sometimes all the um, bodies are thrown into a, to a dump and essentially they're pelts because they've been um, shot. Uh, they're largely no value. So they are often disposed of. And it's, um, it's just, it's absolute, you mentioned wanton, wanton waste. And um, that is exactly what this is. Um, I will share last year, Massachusetts um, ultimately banned this practice. And in addition to banning killing contests, they addressed the issue of wanton waste. And that to us is so critical that that component and element of this um, tragic and unconscionable practice needs to be parlayed. And I will say on a positive note, we see more state wildlife agencies recognizing that. In Massachusetts, just like in Arizona, it was the state wildlife agency that addressed this practice. And so we have more agencies that are recognizing that this is distinct from, for example, subsistence hunting, where ostensibly the hunter is uh, consuming um, the body. Here it is complete wanton waste. And we really try in our film to depict that um, element because we think that's critical. And I do think I will say that, you know, at the beginning you were mentioning cockfighting. We very much believe that like cockfighting and dogfighting, which as a nation we have decided is um, something that we cannot support. It is too cruel and too barbaric. We do believe that ultimately we can ban this practice nationwide. And, and like those practices, it will probably necessitate a state by state effort. Um, but I think we are, we are on the road to that, um, that ultimate victory, but we have a lot of work in front of us. I'm going to say something that may sound a little wackadoodle, and if it does, call me on it. But in in my hometown right now, we talked a, a bit about this too before we got started. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, we have riots, violence, demonstration. It's happening in Minneapolis. There are other cities. Uh, Marty, you were talking about buildings in D.C. that are being boarded up. I can't help but make a correlation between teaching children, whether it's through the extremes of something like a killing contest or any other way we anesthetize our young people to violence among all creatures, I make a correlation between that and a lot of what's happening relative to the desensitivity of people across the board now. Lane, in your opinion, do these contests help create a culture of disregard even for human life? Absolutely. I absolutely believe they do. Because what children see when they are exposed to these wildlife killing contests, and there are so many images and videos of children participating in these check-in events, what you see is that these children have no sense of empathy for these animals that have just been slaughtered for no purpose. And you're showing children that being in a party atmosphere where you're counting these bodies as points or dollars that you get as a prize is, is incredibly 
I'm not even sure what, what word I would use. I mean, it's beyond disrespectful, but it's, it's a way of completely disassociating with the fact that this was a sentient being that suffered, that had his own agenda. This was, an, this was a sentient being that had a life and a plan and a family and things to do that day. And now suddenly that life has been taken and everybody's having a party around it as if that meant nothing. And I think that's a very dangerous thing to, to teach children that sentient beings capable of suffering mean nothing. Thank you. Um, Camilla, I want to I ask you this, and I'm going to take the devil's advocate position, right? These are coyotes, Camilla. These are bobcats. These are wolves. They are our enemy. They hurt farmers, ranchers. They're dangerous to people. What's the harm in, in, in whacking a few hundred every now and then? This is um, ultimately, this comes down to ethics and what is right and what is wrong. And Lane just touched on that. But, but let me just argue from the scientific ecological point of view. When this issue was debated in California, this is back in um, 2014, we had the Farm Bureau, the Cattlemen's Association, the U.S. Sportsmen's Alliance testifying before the commission in support of these killing contests. And essentially their arguments were that they're necessary to reduce conflicts between predators and livestock. They help to boost ungulate populations, deer and elk species that hunters uh, target. And that third, they're an effective way to reduce coyote and other predator populations. And essentially, the head of the, the commission came back to us and said, can you respond to this? Can you refute these claims? And so with our science advisory board, each one of those arguments we um, dismantled. And we did so with peer-reviewed science. We showed that there is no science to buttress any one of those claims. And ultimately, we presented that in um, a science-based uh, letter that now has 70-plus scientists that have signed on to it, and we've repurposed in other states. But I share that in that that did help us obtain our final vote to um, end this practice in California. But ultimately, the final commissioner who voted in support of banning this practice argued it from an ethics point of view, and he said, this wanton waste, this unconscionable practice, is simply not something that we as the wildlife stewards of our state can support. And that trend of ethics, I think, has been the leading argument in most of the states where we have prevailed to ban this practice. And we now have six states. I know at the beginning you mentioned California, but we have six states now that have banned this. And ethics have really been the primary argument in support of this. So the science bears it out for sure, um, but ultimately this comes down to what is right and what is wrong. And um, treating our wildlife with such uh, unconscionable um, lack of any kind of moral code is something that I think most people can get behind is, is something that we need to, um, to ultimately ban. All right. Um, I would add one thing to that, Joseph, if I could, and that is you know, what Camilla was saying about the agencies taking the lead and understanding the ethics, you know, one thing I think we're also seeing are the number of hunters, subsistence hunters or people that closely adhere to the North American model of wildlife conservation, who understand that wildlife killing contests actually have nothing to do with hunting whatsoever. 
And we really drove that distinction home here in Arizona that that contest killers participants are not hunters. These are these are blood sport people. These are people who just like to kill for the sake of killing. And it has nothing to do with hunting. So I think one of the other key arguments to be made is that by allowing wildlife killing contests to happen, these agencies are actually risking the future of hunting that meets the ethics standards, ethical standards of the North American model of wildlife conservation. Yeah. Uh, Camilla, some of the weapons I believe I saw at the party looked like assault rifles. They, they aren't out there with a scope and a 30-30, right? I mean, aren't these some of these uh, just plain out and out assault rifles? There's a whole variety of, of guns and weapons um, that they use. Um, and certainly assault type weapons have been sometimes the end prize. So yes, there's a whole variety of, of weaponry. And I'll also mention that um, in terms of fairness, they are also using a practice called calling, um, calling devices. And these are uh, devices that essentially emit um, a distressed prey or a wounded young. And so this lures in the animal, particularly coyotes. So the ethics that I mentioned, the, the fair chase component um, is something that is absolutely devoid in these contests. And I think as Lane mentioned, more and more hunters are recognizing that um, this, is not, this is not fair chase. This is not sportsmanlike behavior. And whether it's the weaponry or whether it's the, the various devices that are used, it is anything but fair chase and completely violates wildlife conservation and stewardship and certainly the North American wildlife management model. Increasingly, we are seeing more state wildlife agencies and hunters realizing that they can't be silent on this anymore, that, you know, this is something that is, uh, it's a black eye, certainly for hunters and other sportsmen. And for wildlife agencies, it, it completely contravenes the notion of wildlife stewardship and conservation. It would seem that um, hunters do become then kind of a, a, an odd bedfellow of an ally, right? Because what you said about they're getting a black eye uh, with these other folks doing the kinds of killing they are does potent potentially impact their ability to do more reasonable hunting. Uh, it's an interesting potential partnership I see between your organization and the hunters you describe. It is. And, and um, just going back to the California uh, campaign here, two of the three commissioners who voted in support of the ban um, are waterfowl hunters. And ultimately, they were the ones who made the argument that these killing contests are anathema to wildlife conservation and sportsmanlike behavior. Um, at the time as well, the Boone and Crockett Club, which is one of the oldest sportsman institutions in, in the U.S., they had a statement on their website condemning killing contests and bounties. So we used that, and, and in fact, our commissioners quoted from that um, in support of the ban. So I do think that, that hunters um, and other sportsmen are an increasing ally with this. And I will also share in, in our recent campaign in Colorado, very recently this last month, became the sixth state uh, in the nation to ban the practice. It was, again, the commission that uh, voted in support of our petition to ban the practice. But ultimately, uh, there was another very strong voice in that campaign effort, and that is the outdoor recreation industry. These are those who are 
leading the way in, in demonstrating that a variety of outdoor recreation is very dependent on wildlife, wildlife alive, not dead. And so, you know, whether it's a state like Colorado, where very dependent on tourism, I think those voices, the outdoor recreation industry, are going to be as important as the sportsmen voices ultimately in these efforts to uh, to ban killing contests. So we're very pleased to have them increasingly get involved in this national campaign. Elaine, uh, we were six states, it sounds like, where this type of activity is prohibited. Uh, where is it still popular? Where is the work going to occur next? Well, sadly, these do happen in most states in the country. Um, one state that is unfortunately infamous for wildlife killing contests is Pennsylvania. They actually host more wildlife killing contests in Pennsylvania than any other state in the country. It's tough to, to know exactly how many, but our inventory shows anywhere between 50 and 60 contests in Pennsylvania every year. So we've got a team on the ground in Pennsylvania that's working with the Pennsylvania Game Commission and with legislators in state trying to find a path forward to get that banned in Pennsylvania. Camilla, one final question I want to ask you. What are some of the unintended consequences of removing from the ecosystem these apex predators? So certainly you can imagine that, you know, there'd be more rats. Um, I, th- I believe it's the case also that when, when coyotes are killed, that the remaining coyotes tend to reproduce more in order to restore the balance. Yeah, and I want to mention too that um, we discussed at the beginning some of the targeted species, but we also know that mountain lions and wolves, among others, are also targeted in these killing contests. And a lot of people are shocked to hear that. We have documented in Texas, for example, that uh, in addition to um, bobcats, mountain lions are uh, targeted in the killing contest there. So And then in Idaho, um, wolves and coyotes were both targeted. Shortly after delisting off of the Endangered Species Act, um, wolves were, uh, have been the focus of trophy hunters, trappers, and now in these killing contests. So what we know through science, through decades of research, is that apex predators are crucial for healthy ecosystems. When you remove a wolf or a mountain lion or a coyote from the, from the environment, it can have a whole cascading impact on the biodiversity of the region. We call this in scientific lingo um, trophic cascades. So removal of one, even one apex predator from from a given area can have really deleterious impacts on the whole uh, ecosystem. And that is one of the arguments that we certainly made around um, why these killing contests that target Uh, apex predators should be banned. But I also want to mention that it's not just apex predators. The ban that just went through in Colorado also bans uh, not only coyote killing contests, but um, prairie dog contests, which are quite um, prevalent. So the smaller smaller animals that are targeted are also critical for healthy ecosystems. Um, They're prey based for many of these, these apex predators. You know, the whole idea of indiscriminately removing these native wild animals from our ecosystem, whether an apex predator or whether vital prey species, is just reflective of how ecologically destructive this particular practice is. Uh, Lane or Camilla, anything I've not asked before I go to Marty uh, for a legislative uh, uh, touch base? 
I, I do just want to mention, you know, I've looked at an awful lot of wildlife killing contests throughout the country. And, you know, I know we've talked about the kind of the prize structure and sometimes you'll get points or sometimes you'll get dollars. But I, I want to point out that it's not always just the person that's killed the most of a given targeted species, but there are often prizes for people who kill the smallest of a given species. So you'll have people arriving with coyote pups or small bobcat kittens getting prizes as well. So it's, it's just that aberrant that people are going after the juveniles as well and that they get prizes for that. It just adds to how disgusting, I can't even speak about it. Sorry, Joseph, I'm not sure no. what to say here. No, no, it, it, that, it, yeah, it, it adds to the horror, to the barbarism of it. Who makes money off these? I mean, you've got the promotion, you've got the prizes. What, what kind of entity is running the books on stuff like this? Well, the big ones tend to be run by the manufacturers of the calling devices that Camilla mentioned or some weaponry, people that make the, the guns, the sights, the equipment that these guys use. So they will typically sponsor the bigger contests that have the bigger prizes. You know, for some of the smaller ones, you might just see that they don't have a commercial sponsor, but they're just a, a group of people getting together and throwing their money in the kitty and then dividing that up at the end of the weekend. You know, we're talking about the sponsors and, and what we found is sometimes there are mom and pop sponsors that are targetable. And, and so we've had some success in some states where when there's a local sponsor, of appealing to them. And sometimes they're not even fully cognizant of what the killing contest is. So in terms of what people can do with this, um, I think looking at sponsors and, and recognizing that that is um, an area that is targetable. And another area is looking at ultimately, you, you were asking like, who's funding this? I think that those sometimes the, the moneyed entities behind this are ones that um, are also targetable, depending on the state, depending on the region. I just want to mention, we were talking about the prizes. Um, if, if one Googles the West Texas Big Bobcat Contest, available online to see uh, recently the prizes that were given for this, for killing the largest bobcat in Texas, um, the largest prize was $16,120. That was, um, actually, that was second place. First place was $28,210 for the person who killed the largest bobcat of 31 pounds. Ultimately, over $50,000 was given out in prize money for this one killing contest that was exclusively targeting bobcats. And again, when people hear about this, generally they're outraged. So I think it's important that people inform themselves about this practice. They can go to our website, projectcoyote.org, and learn about wildlife killing contests and their prevalence. But I also want to say and leave your listeners with the fact that everyone can have a voice here. You know, I think a lot of people feel disempowered when they hear about something that's, that outrages them, but they don't know how to get involved. And so finding out about what's going on in your state, um, looking at our website and organizations that are taking this issue on, because whether it's attending a commission meeting now virtually, writing letters to the editor, contacting your commissioner, contacting your state legislator, there are myriad ways that people can get involved and help us ultimately ban this practice. Just like dogfighting and cockfighting, within our lifetime, we can, we can ban this heinous practice. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer 
uh, to me that we would. Marty, are you aware of any activity on the federal level that addresses these contests? Yes, yes. And just rewinding a little bit, um, thanks to Camilla and Lane for all of their great work on this particular issue and so many others. You know, one thing that I first learned about this when Lane was working with our state director, Tina Meredith, on the ban in Arizona is they had an event called the Santa Slay, S-L-A-Y, that I just thought, how horrible is that that they're using Santa Claus to talk about murdering innocent coyotes for fun and for prizes? So, you know, I think that just shows the character of these people that are participating in this. We have been talking with Congressman uh, Ruben Gallego from the 7th District of Arizona, which is uh, most of Phoenix, the city there. And he is working to introduce legislation that would basically be a federal ban on wildlife killing contests in the United States. Uh, Lane and I and Wayne and others were on a call with the chairman of the House Natural Resources Committee, uh, Mr. Raul Grijalva, last week and uh, had a great conversation with him. I know he's very aware of that legislation, very excited about seeing it introduced and the chairman um, has jurisdiction over whether that legislation moves to the house floor for a vote or not which is a really big thing for us he, he told us a story about how uh when he in his childhood he remembered that in arizona they had contests where mountain lions were killed for 25 dollars uh, and i just remembered him saying that it kind of stuck with me and you know so it, it really hit home to him to think about these defenseless creatures being slaughtered out there uh, just for fun. So we hope that we can get that legislation introduced soon, get it through the committee, and at the very least get a vote on the House floor. I think that'll speak volumes about our nation's view on this particular issue with the chamber closest to the American people being where this effort will begin. All right. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Lane. Thank you, Camilla. I appreciate you all so much. And thank you so much uh, for listening. We say this to our listeners to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.